So church, I know it has been months since we began going verse by verse through this book of Galatians, but maybe while you were hearing that scripture reading, perhaps it sounded a little bit familiar. And that's because maybe you noticed if you were here months ago that some of the language that Paul uses here in this section, and especially the tone that he's using here, is really similar to how he opened up the body of this letter all the way back in Galatians 1. And particularly in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. And you can, if you want, turn with me quickly there if you want, or you can just hear it. But notice how similar a couple of verses from Galatians 1 are to what we just heard read. This is Galatians 1, just verses 6 and 7. Galatians really started off in the body of the letter like this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so as you hear, Paul opens up this letter by talking about how he's astonished that these churches are turning away from the gospel. And specifically, he says that they're turning away from him who called them from God in doing so. And finally, he says to these people that those who are troubling them, that are teaching them another message, are troubling them. All right, so that's how Paul opened this letter. But with that said, now listen to what he says in the first two verses of what we just heard in Galatians 5. So this is Galatians 5, 7, and 8. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And so maybe you hear those similarities. Because although now here in our passage this morning, Paul is using a different picture, right? Run of running a race. The idea is the same. Because in their race, they have left obeying the truth. And such a persuasion is not from him who called them. And finally, it's because people are hindering them. And Paul in verse 10 will even use that same word for people troubling them that he used in chapter 1. And so all that said, the point is both in our passage and in the opening of this letter, they're really similar, right? These Galatians are leaving the truth of the gospel and these churches and they're turning to a different message all because false teachers are troubling and hindering them. And Paul's clear that all of that is not from God. And for us, I I first wanted us to see that just because it's interesting, but mainly I think it helps us then understand really what's going on here now in God's word at this point in Galatians. Because what's going on, just technically, is what is called an inclusio. An inclusio, if you're interested in Bible terms, study terms. And all an inclusio means is an inclusio was a literary device back in ancient times where they used it to show structure in their writings. Because remember, it's interesting, back in ancient times when the Bible was written, they didn't have paragraphs, (laughs) they didn't have table of contents or headers or intentional page breaks, and they didn't even have spaces between words, all because the parchment they were writing on was far too expensive for all of that. And so instead, what they did to show structure was things like this. And this inclusio specifically is to show now that the main section of this letter is coming to a close. And so everyone who studies Galatians basically agrees that that's what Paul's doing. That's helpful for us to know because most of this letter has been about what the true gospel in itself is. But now Paul is coming to close this main section by going back to the issue that he opened with. 
And that's the issue, let's remember, of the seriousness of people leaving that message for a false message. And really, it makes a lot of sense that he's doing this because remember, it is that issue which is why this letter was ever written, right? Both for the Galatians and for us. Because I know we've said this before, but we need to be clear that this letter of Galatians wasn't written and it isn't in God's word just so that people can understand right doctrine, right? In one sense, of course, that's good, but specifically, the Bible has this be in his, God has this be in his word so that people People like you and me this morning may avoid believing false messages, right? false good newses in the world, especially false messages about Jesus, and so that we may instead embrace the real gospel and Jesus himself. And so that's the issue that Paul's returning now again to in this inclusio. And particularly on that, as we're going to see, he ref- he's going to return to really focusing in on these false teachers, who were entering in and who were responsible for leading the Galatians astray like they were. And back then that was a big deal. And when that happens today, it still is a big deal. So that's what we're going to see. But that then brings us to an outline of how we'll go through this passage together. So as you heard in the scripture reading, we have two paragraphs this morning. And in order to cover them, we're going to have three sections together, three sections. And first, we're going to focus on a, for a while on what these false teachers were doing to unsettle the Galatians and how they were leading them astray. And we're going to do that because for us, we're going to see some ways then that false teachers and false teachings still try to lead us astray as Christians today. So that's first. And then second, we'll see quickly why that was and why that is a really big deal. And then third and finally, we'll transition to then seeing how we should live as those who then do believe the true gospel. And so in some three sections, first, ways that false teachers and teachings really try to lead us astray. Second, why it's a big deal. And third, how we should live as those who do believe the gospel. But that said, let's then start church with our first section together. And here again, we're going to see the Bible talk about some ways that false teachers were trying to unsettle these Galatians, leading them astray. And we'll see the ways that that applies to us even today. And for this, we're going to be in verses 7 through 12, that first paragraph. And what we're going to do here is we're going to actually see three ways, three ways that these false teachers were unsettling these Galatians and leading them astray. And there are three ways that still apply to us. So three ways, and we'll take them one at a time. And as for the first way, we're going to start in just verses 7 and 8. So look down your Bibles, Galatians 5, 7, and 8. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So as you heard, to begin there, Paul says you were running well. Right? And that's an analogy often in the Bible about the Christian life, right? Run of running a race. But really importantly on that, as we all try to understand what this race means, we need to remember the main idea so far of Galatians as a whole. Because let's be honest, when we hear you were running well, when we hear Paul talk about that, about churches, we probably assume that the Bible is talking about them being exceptionally good Christians or something, right? We might assume that it's talking about them doing good things for Jesus or not sinning too much or being really loving people. But remember, those topics have not been the point of Galatians so far. Rather, the point of Galatians very clearly has been about trusting Jesus alone in the good news of the gospel. 
And that means these people running well here, seemingly running well, and for us to be running well, it simply does mean to be really trusting Jesus and Jesus alone in the gospel. That's running well. And so they were running well. They were seemingly trusting Jesus alone in the gospel. But then what happened? People hindered them. And literally that word hindered in the original Greek is just two words put together, cut and in. And so this is actually just talking about people cutting in, blocking you off as you're running your race and just trying to trust Jesus alone for your salvation. And then finally on verse 7, what did they hinder them from doing? Well, quote, obeying the truth. Obeying the truth. And it is interesting that now, here all the way in Galatians chapter 5, Paul finally decides to talk about obedience. Because remember, that's what typical religion and that's what these false teachers are always about, trusting Jesus and obeying certain rules. But notice, here Paul is clear that if you want to talk about obedience, it's not obedience to certain rules in addition to trusting Jesus. Instead, it's obedience to the truth. And so it's almost as if Paul is saying, if you want to talk about obedience, then focus on obeying what's true. Meaning, focus on the truth that we're saved, as he's been talking about for four chapters, by trusting in Jesus alone. And so taking all that together, that's then the idea in verse 7. Right? That's how these false teachers were unsettling these Galatians and leading them away from the gospel. They were cutting in, hindering them in their race, all by essentially adding things to the good news. Because the Galatians were seemingly, Paul thought, trusting in Jesus alone, but then these people came in and they said, right, and you must do this and that. And for us then, that's the first way. That false teachers and teachings still try to unsettle us and lead us astray as Christians. Right? We can be trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation and the gospel, but then people cut in and they add all these other things that we must do to be okay with God. Religions do this and just the way the world is like this. Because as we're running our race, we're trusting Jesus. What verse 7 really shows us is that people can stop us with, sure, trusting Jesus is good, of course, but... You, you really should also do this and be like this to be okay with God. But the point is that's cutting in on our running of our race and hindering us from obeying the truth. And finally, though, what does Paul say in verse 8 about all that? Well, he says that that persuasion, meaning it can be something, let's be clear, that these false teachers are persuaded of and that they're trying to persuade you of, yet such a persuasion isn't from him who calls you. It isn't from God. And so though, even though they're persuaded of it, it's not from the Lord, which does quickly show us that just because, let's be clear, someone is genuine and someone is persuaded of what they believe, even if they're well-intentioned, it does not mean it's from the Lord and it's good for you and that it's necessarily true. Right, we as one, we as the church have one source of authority, not our feelings, not well-intentioned thoughts, but God and his word. And so that's in the first way that false teachers and teachings try to hinder us, in our, hinder us in our faith. That then leads to the second way, and this will be in the next two verses. So, and this builds on the first way. So look down at your Bibles now, verses 9 and 10. Paul continues, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. 
And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So now here you can see that Paul focuses not just on what these false teachers were doing, but especially on how it affects the whole church community. And you see that in that a little leaven leavens the whole lump analogy. Because as for what that means, the idea is pretty self-explanatory. But concerning what we just saw in verses 7 and 8, it means that that sort of cutting in and adding to the good news can and usually does start small with individuals, but often then it spreads like yeast in bread. And that in itself then is the second way that false teachings and teachers can hinder us from believing the one true gospel. Because usually, let's be clear, false teaching does not just cut off one person from believing and trusting Jesus alone. Instead, look at the history of the church. It's groups, it's churches that become affected, that become infected. Right? And that's no small thing, which is why Paul says what he says in verse 10. Because how should we respond if even a whole lump of people, to use the analogy, accept a false message about Jesus? Well, two things there in verse 10. First, Paul talks about taking no other view than mine, his. Which is fascinating because that shows us, as we've been talking about for months here in Galatians, that Paul knew that as an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ, he knew that he had the one true gospel of Jesus. He knew that he and the other apostles really in history did carry the one message of good news for the entire world. But then second, we should respond by knowing, as Paul says later in that verse 10, that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is, meaning the Bible says God will judge. And that whoever he is, right, is interesting because it shows that apparently Paul didn't know himself, all the people by name who were leading the Galatians astray, but God did. And God loves his gospel and God loves people. And so the Bible says God will judge when certain people change his good news that he so loves and that's good for the world. Which all finally leads to the third way that false teachers and teachings can lead us astray. And this is the one that's probably the most confusing at first, but we'll break it down and it'll make sense. So now we'll finish our section looking at verses 11 and 12. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So verse 12 there, that's one of the strongest sentences that Paul ever wrote in the Bible. And it's probably the most offensive verse he wrote. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Instead, first, it's what's in verse 11 that shows us what these false teachers are really doing. And again, at first, that verse may sound a little bit confusing. Because Paul says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And he says that because, remember, he's not preaching that you need to be circumcised to be saved. And his point is that's shown by the fact that he is being persecuted, especially by a lot of Jews back then. But then it's what he says after that, which gives us a hint at what these false teachers were doing. Because the Bible says then, Paul says, in that case, meaning if I were still preaching circumcision, the offense of the cross has been removed. And it's that then that shows us what these false teachers were doing. Because if Paul is teaching something that is offensive, then what were these false teachers doing? They were teaching something that 
wasn't as offensive. And in a way, that's then the third way that these Galatians were being hindered. And it's a way that false teachers and false teachings still often work today. They often try to make the good news of Jesus less offensive. But, that said, most important on that is that we actually can't just stop there. Because honestly, perhaps the most interesting thing I discovered on this whole passage this week while studying it was thinking about and really breaking down what it was that these false teachers were doing to make their gospel less offensive. And here's what I mean. So think about it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has done all that's needed to be done. In his life, death, resurrection, his reigning, his coming back, he's done all that's needed to be done to save us. And all we do is trust him, full stop. Right? That's the good news. And that's what I think Paul means by the offense of the cross. And in our context, though, what do we usually think people do to make that message less offensive? Well, we encounter people saying things like, well, there's many other gods besides Jesus. Or they say that we're not actually sinners. Or people will say that God can forgive without the cross or things like that. And to be clear, those types of ideas are examples of watering down the gospel to make it less offensive. But to be honest, the Bible doesn't mainly address those types of twisting of the gospel. We do, and they're good to talk about, but the Bible, that's not the main way it talks about how people were twisting the gospel. Instead, think of this. What was it that these false teachers were doing to make the gospel less offensive? Well, in essence, they were adding our part to the gospel. That's what they were doing to make the gospel, the cross of Jesus, less offensive to people. And if you hear anything this morning, I actually really hope you hear that. People make the gospel less offensive by making the gospel Jesus' cross, of course, plus what you and I do. Because again, consider how this works. The gospel is it's all Jesus, 100%. Our salvation, our hope, our peace, our security isn't about what me or you do for God. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done and we simply trust him, full stop. And we could think, man, that's the best news in the world. Why would someone want to add to that? And yet for 2,000 years and still today, people do all the time. And you want to know why? Well, it's because it's offensive to our pride that the good news of the universe isn't based on what you and I do. It's offensive to our self-focus, our self-centeredness, our desire for it to be about us, our desire to earn something. It's offensive that the good news of the universe doesn't center on us. It actually doesn't depend on how good or how loving we are at all. That's offensive. That was offensive back then, and it's still offensive to people today. And it's all because we as human beings, we like the focus being on what we do. It's that simple because we're that prideful, all of us. And so the point of this verse and really a huge point of this whole letter of Galatians is that's the way false teachers and false teachings even still today make the message more palatable and less offensive. They add to it. 
and the way they talk about Jesus and the Bible and the gospel, they make it more about us. Right? Our traditions, our rules, our ways, our history, our church, our love, our outreach, our good things we do for the world. False teachings often make those things the focal point. And it's because as sinners in our pride, we like that. And so that's the three ways in our text that false teachers and teachings can try to hinder us from running our race of believing the one true gospel. But finally, and quickly, and lastly on this section, that brings us to consider what Paul wrote in that verse 12. And as for this verse, this is a sort of summary of how Paul feels about what he just said and therefore about how God feels about people adding to the gospel like that. And since it has been a while, to remember what Paul said in verse 12, just look down one more time. It's a quick verse. The Bible says this. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So I said before, uh, as I said before, this is one of the most intense verses in Paul's writings. And that's because, honestly, that word emasculate there is to be read in the old original sense of the word. And that's because in the original meaning in the Greek, this verse reads, and, and I don't mean to be crude, it reads, I wish those who unsettle you would cut off. And implied in that word is that they would cut off their male organs. And, and so that's intense. And for us, it may even sound crude, but it's actually not crude. And in fact, one commentator I read this week was really helpful on this because he explained that this isn't crude for at least two reasons. First, because that idea of cutting off the male organs is supposed to be a play on words with the fact that they were cutting in in verse 7 in the middle of the race. But then also, second and most importantly, the commentator pointed out that this wasn't crude to them back then to talk like this because in the cultural context of the New Testament that Paul was writing to, it was known that people in devotion to a certain goddess would actually emasculate themselves as an act of worship. And so all that said, this sentence isn't crude, but it is intense. Right? Because Paul is essentially saying, God through Paul is essentially saying, to those who wish to add to the good news of Jesus like that, to those who want to cut in and add our part to what Jesus has done, I wish they'd go and be typical religious zealots somewhere else and emasculate themselves accordingly. It's intense. Well, that's, that's in the three ways that these false teachers and teachings were hindering them back then. It's ways that still happen to us today. And briefly, then, the upshot for all of us as Christians is to simply watch out for these things, to not give in to these things. First, watch out for how people will try to turn us away from Jesus alone and add to the gospel and to the Bible. Second, watch out and beware for how false teachers often infiltrate, like leavened and bread, churches. And finally, third, watch out for when someone takes the good news of Jesus and subtly talks about it and makes it a lot more about you and me. Watch out for all of that. Not because I said it, but because as God made really clear through Paul in verse 12, those things are really serious. So that's our first section. And that's our longest section, by the way, if you're curious. But that then leads to our second section, which would be by far our shortest. And here we'll just see why that sort of false teaching is such a big deal. And even as we say that, as we just saw, that's already sort of been answered in two ways in the paragraph above. Because first, remember, this is a big deal because it really troubles people. 
And then second, Paul already said this is a big deal because false gospels like that aren't from God and God therefore will judge those who teach them because God loves the truth. He loves his gospel. He loves people. Right? So in a way, we've already sort of seen why this is a big deal. And yet, all that said, the clear answer that Paul decides to write about why this is a big deal, what he decides to write right after his intense sentence about emasculating themselves is his first sentence in verse 13. And that's then our big answer this morning as to why false teachings are such a big deal. And so now to see this, just look down at verse 13. So in answer to why are false teachings and false teachers such a big deal, we're going to look at just the first sentence of verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. So so there it is. So follow the logic. As you can see, verse 12, Paul's lovingly angry. I wish they'd emasculate themselves. And why? Verse 13 to start. For or because you were called to freedom, brothers. See it? In other words, what they're doing is hurtful and it isn't from God, sure, yes. But not only that, it's such a big deal because believing them is hindering your freedom in Christ. And this really brings us back to Galatians 5 verse 1, right? For freedom Christ has set us free. And so the point is what these people were doing when they were adding to the gospel and what people do today when they add to the gospel is a big deal. Not because it's generally hurtful, not because it isn't from God, but because And four, you were called to freedom. And adding things to the gospel is hurtful to our freedom in Christ. And that's really then our whole second section together here this morning. We won't rehash our whole discussion on freedom from Galatians 5.1. We spent a whole week on that. If you're more curious about that, you can go listen to that message. But in brief, I wanted to spend a whole section on that answer as to why this is a big deal Because I hope you see out of all the things that Paul could have wrote next as to why he's so upset at what they're doing, that's what he decides to write. False teaching is a big deal for because you and I are called to freedom. And when people add to the gospel, it hinders our freedom. And so for us then, this means that whenever someone is getting Jesus wrong or the gospel wrong or adding things that aren't in God's word, we should think that's not just wrong, but if that's believed, right, if that's followed, if I embrace that or if others embrace that, it will hurt my or their freedom in Christ, right? Because when it becomes about what I do plus, or what Jesus does plus what I do, then when have we done enough? Right, when are we good enough? When have we obeyed enough? When have we been loving enough? And so instead, we need to know that we are freely saved in the gospel and we're meant to live in gospel, biblical freedom. And therefore, again, adding to the message is a huge deal because God has called us to freedom. And when the message is off, our freedom will be off. Which finally then leads to the third and final section. Now here we are going to transition to how we should live as those who do believe the gospel. For this will be in verse 13 through 15. And and what we're going to see here, if you're curious, is Paul now, and I mean it, is finally making his switch in this book to the topic of Christian living. Because in a way, his inclusio is ending. 
And so now, as you're going to see, he's going to start for the rest of the letter talking less about the one true gospel itself and now talking about how we should live in our freedom as those who do believe the gospel. So that said, we're just going to read all of verses 13 through 15. So look down your Bibles, Galatians 5, 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So how do we live as those who believe this good news? Well, we're to live free. But then, Paul makes it clear right away that our freedom works itself out in a certain way. And it's explaining that, that the Bible here essentially gives some negatives to avoid while also mainly talking about the positive way we're to live. So some negatives and then mainly a positive. And so we'll take those one at a time, starting with the negatives. And so as for the negatives to avoid, first, you can see in verse 13, Paul writes, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And again, we talked about this a bit in our message on Galatians 5.1, and so we won't repeat it here. But in short, the reason Paul says this right after talking about our freedom is because the Christian freedom that we have in Christ is not something which leads us to start acting sinful and selfish. Because that way of acting and living isn't true freedom. And so that's the first thing on the negatives to avoid. But then also, look again at that last verse there in verse 15 where Paul talks about not biting and devouring and consuming one another. And that may sound strange at first, and it shows that something was going on in the Galatian churches. But actually, even in context, this makes a lot of sense. Because studying this this week, I learned that these verbs there were actually used sometimes to talk about animals. Animals. And and it's knowing that then that you can see that this is a great picture. Because remember, Paul is talking about freedom. And so he's just said, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And now he's saying, and watch out that you don't use your freedom and all of a sudden, therefore, start acting in a way like animals. Don't be brutish, beastly. And really, this verse then is a great way to answer those who just sometimes think that freedom is just doing whatever I want. Because the reality is, if we do whatever we want, we'll often just follow our own impulses And if that's the case, our creatureliness, our animalness, if you will, will come front and center. Because when we do whatever we want, whatever we feel, we as human beings do start biting and devouring one another. And so in short, Paul is saying, don't do that with your freedom. And particularly for us at ECC, let's remember, he's saying this here in God's word to churches. And again, if we had more time, we could spell this out more, but isn't it sadly true that it's the case with professing Christians where we can start to bite and devour and consume one another? Almost like animals. It's sad, but that's often the case, and that's because we can lose the focus on Christ and God's word, and we can lose the focus on our freedom that we have in Christ. And then all of a sudden, we start biting and devouring one another in these certain ways, almost like animals. And that's why it's in God's word, because especially for us as a church, we do need to watch out for all of those negative things to avoid. But that then brings us really to the emphasis of these verses. So yes, we should avoid those negatives, but then positively, as you saw in this paragraph, the emphasis is on how we are to live lives 
of love. As we trust Jesus and therefore we have freedom in Christ, we are to live in love. Or as verse 6 said last week, remember, our faith works through love. And in fact, this love shows up both in verse 13 and verse 14, each of which has a slightly different emphasis. Because in verse 13, the emphasis is on not serving yourself and your own flesh, but through love serving others. Meaning really getting low like a servant and caring for other people. And then Paul builds on that in verse 14. So in love, we are to serve others, but then he more so explains what that looks like. And to do that, Paul quotes a verse that Jesus himself famously quoted on this idea that the law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. And that technically is a quote from Leviticus 19.18. And again, it was Jesus himself who quoted this as the second great commandment, right? Who were first to love the Lord our God and second, love our neighbor as ourselves. And briefly, that idea that love fulfills the whole Old Testament law is because if you want to think about it this way, basically all those commands that you can read in your Old Testaments about how, other, how people should treat other people are summed up, can be summed up in this idea of love them as you'd love yourself. And on that, the great thing about such a broad command from Jesus and from Paul is that we all know right, how to love someone really well. We all know how to care for someone really well. We all know how to serve someone really well. And that's ourselves. And so in very brief then, the way we are to live our lives, right? Jesus' ethic, the Bible's ethic, if you like that term, is to simply take that self-service, that self-preservation, that self-care we all naturally have, and instead of just or mainly pointing it inwards, to point it outwards toward others like Jesus did. And that's then how we're to live our lives as those who do trust this gospel of Jesus. And in Galatians, that's how Paul now transitions to talking about Christian living. In summary, we don't serve ourselves. And we aren't supposed to live an impulsive, animal-like freedom where we bite and devour one another, especially in churches. Instead, as individual Christians and as those in Christian communities, churches, we positively are to be people who trust Jesus And who then, in our Christian living, as we trust Jesus, in our freedom, we're to be people who really love one another. So that's our passage, church. There were and there still are false teachers and teachings that we must be careful of. They're hurtful. They're not from God. And especially, they hinder our freedom. And then in contrast, though, as for us who do trust Jesus and the gospel, we're free but our responsibility in our freedom is to not use our freedom in selfish, sinful ways, but instead true freedom is and what Jesus wants for us is really loving one another. Which all leads us briefly to close with one final thing. And this is something that will hopefully wet our palates in a way for what's to come next week in our passage. And I want to bring this up because throughout all that, and especially throughout that third section on love, It might be that you were sitting there and thinking, sure, that all sounds great, right? That's the right thing, but it's much easier said than done. And that's true. And so the question now for all of us is, so that's good, but how? Right, how can we be people who avoid false teachings, who avoid biting and devouring and being selfish and who truly love like that? And if you're thinking anything like that, that is a good concern. Because the reality is, if we hear all that and then leave here pumped up, 
to now go and freely be less selfish and more loving, and yet we aim to do that while subtly thinking we can do it on our own willpower? It won't happen. We're too weak. We're too selfish. We're too inconsistent. And doing that on our own power is not God's plan for us. And so instead, now notice just the next clause that Paul writes. And I love this. This is why I love the Bible so much. And I hope you do too. It's true. The question now is, but how? And yet it is that issue which Paul begins to address in his next breath. And as we read this, remember, there were no chapter and verse divisions in the Bible that Paul wrote. And there were no sentence markers or even spaces. And so this really is his next words. So, we're not to be lo- or so we are to be loving. We're not to be selfish, biting and devouring one another. But how? We'll look at the next words that start verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And so that's how. Or better yet, he, the Holy Spirit, he's How? And again, we'll talk about this more next week. Let's then be clear as we leave here this morning. That is our calling, as we've been talking about in our freedom, to avoid false teachings, to to not serve ourselves, to love others. But we will not do that on our own strength. And that's why Paul, inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is about to write, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And finally on that, this makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? Because in the famous verse on the fruit of the Spirit to come in Galatians 5.22, what's the first thing listed? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Spirit enables us to love. And so church, more on that next week. But for now, that's our calling then as we leave here. We'll be people who trust Jesus alone for our salvation? Would it be people who live in freedom? Would it be people who don't bite and devour one another, especially in church? And would it be people who live sacrificial lives of love and how, not by our own strength, but by the enablement of the Spirit himself, by God himself who saved us, working in us. And so let's rely on him and let's aim for that because that's true gospel-centered Christianity. Because that's true freedom in Christ and that is how the Spirit of God works in us and glorifies Jesus through us.